Take your copy of God's Word and find your way to Paul's little letter to the Colossian church, chapter 3. You believe we're halfway through uh, Colossians already? Today, in chapter 3, in these first four verses, this is, and you can really see it, I don't even have to tell you this, if, if you would just go and read the first two chapters and then read these four verses, you're going to see this is a trans... This is his transition out of this heavily doctrinal portion of the letter, which is chapters 1 and 2. He's going to sprinkle a little bit more doctrine in here, but he's transitioning to the practical. This is the, here's, what you, here's how you apply what I've just retaught you about the gospel. Are you with me this morning? Here's how, you here's how you apply it. Here's the practical. I've given you the doctrinal. Now I'm going to transition to the practical. Now remember, they had these heretics, these false teachers that had infiltrated their ranks and taught them some crazy things like Gnosticism. And you got to go through these certain levels and do these certain things and uh, actually use intermediaries and, and, and dealing with angels and whatnot. And then you ultimately will get up to Jesus. And then maybe when you get to him, you can get to God. And then they had legalism wiggle its way in there. So you got to do certain things a certain way, certain things on certain days. Other days, not those things. Then they had this weird mysticism come in there and say, oh, you also have to have these mystical experiences. And these mystical experiences will, will add to this relationship you have with God through Christ. And then they had this asceticism that said there's some, there's some things you, need, you just need to, everything in the body's bad and therefore you just need to treat the body harshly. Don't handle, don't taste, don't touch. You need to put that body under severe discipline. And Paul comes in and he is attacking these lies one after another. The back half of chapter 2, he is taking all of their key power words that they use and twist it. And he's untwisting them and he's giving them the straight meaning of them. And he totally undoes this false teaching. That you, a human being, would have the audacity to think that you could add something to Christ and to his cross work. What an offense, what an insane idea. In fact, it's a demonic idea. And so Paul makes this transition after he thoroughly exposes these four isms and turns them into wasms and causes the Colossians to reject them out of hand, brings them back to Christ. And he says, now let me show you something. Let me show you how this works. How many of you like to know how things work? I like to know how things work. My dad uh, decided one day that I was of the age that I needed to learn how things work. And he went to our local landfill and picked up two lawnmowers. 
and brought them home and put them in the barn. And he said, uh, when I get home from work tomorrow, those both better be running. The problem is, uh, the only thing that was running when dad came home from work was me. <laughs> and I was running away as fast and as far as my legs could carry me. He wanted me to be mechanically inclined, and he and I both learned through much tears and sorrow that that was not going to ever be a reality. What I needed was, I, I didn't need broken lawnmowers. I needed a man who knew how to fix them and would take me by the hand and show me. And that's what Paul's doing here. He said, let me show you how life works. Let me show you now that you have, have, are, are convinced that Jesus is all you need and he is more than enough. Amen, church? He's all you need and he's more than enough. Now here's how this works. Here's how it plays out in the everyday. And here's how to stay free from this ridiculous theology that you've been taught. So with this in mind, he's laid out the beautiful sufficiency of Christ in two chapters, which really for him is a massive introduction. Here's what he says in Colossians 3.1. If then you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are where, church? Above. Where Christ is. Sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things where, church? Did you see these repeated twice? And not on things on the earth. Here's why. Because you died. And your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, appears, then, then you also will appear with Him in glory. Father, I come to you this morning a little overwhelmed. Um, I'm overwhelmed with your grace this morning. I'm overwhelmed with your kindness. I've lived in this text this week until it, this text has lived in me. And I'm so full that I don't know how to, how to communicate this in any kind of sense. So Lord, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just provide the natural part and I'm going to ask you to provide the super part because I really need your help this morning. But I really want to thank you for what you showed me and, and, and reminded me is so true and the joy that came as a result of that. And in some way, Father, would you, through your spirit, enable me to communicate what your people need to hear this morning in Christ's name. Amen. I've, I've entitled this message um, Empowering and Imploring. Empowering and Imploring. In verse number one, we see the empowering. And that is God's part. And I want you to notice that. The empowering is God's part. And if it's God's part, whose part is it not? And here's the reality. I don't think we believe that. I think we give mental assent to it. I think we give a nod to it. But I think we're fairly clueless as to what that even means, much less how to live that out. 
And that's what I want to try to do through the Apostle Paul this morning is make a case for you to, just super simple, for you to understand God's part and yours and not get them mixed up anymore. Amen? You do got a part. That's in the command that's following this. But oh, unlike my dad, God rest his soul, um, when God tells you to do something, he empowers you to do it. Amen? <laughs> I had no idea what to do with those lawnmowers. And I had, I had no knowledge. I had no experience. I had nothing. Now, my dad was able to take those things apart in a matter of hours, had them running. And then I was running again, mowing. Dale, can you relate? He's, I don't, you all can't hear him. Dale's, Dale's laughing out there. Apparently, we had similar dads, didn't we? Yeah, he's laughing. Oh, I want to tell you what. When God says to go do something, he, listen to me, listen to me. He never tells you to go do something, but that he doesn't provide the ability, the means, and whatever else it takes for that to be done. And that doesn't mean he ain't going to ask you to step out on faith. But this empowering is God's part. Look in your copy of God's word there in verse 1. And, I, and you're going to see something up there that I, the words are a little bit different than maybe what's in your Bible. In the New King James Version, it says, if then you were raised with Christ. Let me, I don't want to bog you down with the Greek language, but that little word, if, most of the time when you see this in Scripture, you need to be careful because it's what's called a first-class conditional if. Um, and what that does, literally in Greek grammar, um, it assumes the reality of the argument. You say, what's that mean? Here's what it means. It really means since. Now, if I said since you've been raised with Christ, instead of if you've been raised with Christ, if kind of leaves it on a question mark hanging, doesn't it? Because we, we have this if or if not mentality, and it's the way our English grammar works. But I want to tell you, in the language this was written in, there was no question, and there was no hanging question mark there. Paul uses a first-class conditional word that would be translated since. So since then, or since, therefore, so because of, the, of this fact and reality, and that word you is plural there, which, which, is, which is important too. Since all of, as they say in the South, since all of y'all... <laughs> Because he's writing, who's he writing to? He's writing to the church, which is made up of sinners or saints, church. Saints. Redeemed, blood-bought children of God. He says, since it is a fact that all of you were raised with Christ. Now, this is important. This is so important. You see, how is that God's part? I'll tell you exactly. That's why grammar matters. That, that, that word, were raised is actually one word. And uh, here's the beauty of it. You can tell raised. What tense is that? When did that happen? That's past tense. By the way, you want a blessing? You want a blessing? Um, I, I've got it right here. I, one of the first things I do in a text is I make three columns and I write past, present, and future and I go find all the verbs and underline them and I put them in, the, in their appropriate columns. And what's so interesting in this text, there's only one verb that's future. There's so many verbs that are past tense and a few that are present tense, and those are the commands. And, and all of them matter. They matter immensely. Now, you notice that's past tense. It says something called you, and he's talking to believers, so I want to make this super clear this morning. If, if there's never been a time in your life when God has arrested your soul, arrested your heart, broken you over your sin... 
caused you to turn away from your sin and, and welcome the risen Christ into your life and placed you in Christ as a result of that. My prayer is that that will happen to you today if that's never happened. But if it hadn't happened to you, this is not for you. you. You haven't been raised yet. You're still dead in your sins. But for those that that has happened to you, that God has graciously welcomed you into His family through the, through the new birth, regeneration. He says, something called you was, past tense, was raised with Christ. And here's the beauty of that. That verb is passive. So uh, you are the subject, or you all. That's the subject. And in a passive verb, it means this. The subject isn't doing the action. Instead, the subject of that verb is being acted upon. So what's he saying? You didn't raise yourself. Are, are you following this? Instead, you were raised along with who, church? Christ Himself. And this word raised is a beautiful word. And I know you think resurrection, and that would be correct. But it's, it's a beautiful, it's almost a gentle word. It's the word that is used uh, for waking up together. It's to be asleep and to wake up together. I remember when I first got married, right? Uh, lived my whole, I could not wait to get married. I wanted the Lord to return, but I wanted to return about two weeks after I got married. So I figured by then, you know, she'd be sick of me and, and it'd be a good time to go home and be with the Lord, right? But don't come back before then. I remember waking up those first few weeks and months of being married, and sometimes I'd sleep super hard, and I'd wake up and I'd be shocked that I was waking up with my wife right next to me. And there was, such, there was a joy about that, to wake up together. And that's what this word means. You, look, look, you were awakened together with Christ, and because you were, because of that, there's an empowerment there. You were raised resurrected together with Jesus. And it's something that you didn't do. It's something that God did to, with, for, and in you. Amen? Are you with me? That's God's part. So something called you came up out of a grave. He said, how did I get in that grave? You're getting ahead of me. That's coming in a couple of verses. Because what, what kind of people go into a grave? Dead ones. We're going to get to that in just a second. So he says, here's the empowerment. You're raised with Christ. In, in intimate union with Christ, I've awakened you together. And you are now awakened to your spouse, if you will, to Christ. And you get to do life together. And that comes with some benefits of blessing. Are you with me? Man, what a benefit to be awakened together with Christ. Amen. And so here's what he says. In uh, and, and, uh, Colossians 2.12, he, he just said this. He said, buried with him in baptism, in which also you were, here's the word, raised with him through faith in the, who's doing the work? In the working of God, you see it? Who raised him from the dead. And listen to me. Just, he said, why are you beating this point? Because you've got to understand this. When, when the Father raised the Son from the dead, he raised you up with him to newness of life. That's why when we baptize people around here, we said buried in the likeness of his death, raised in the likeness of his resurrection, to walk now in newness of life. 
And there's a power that comes with that. Now let's look at the imploring. This is the command. Because you were raised with Christ, there's some expectations that come upon us. If then you were raised with Christ, or since, or because you've been raised with Christ, I plugged you into the power. Now because you have that power, what's the first implore? Seek. Seek those things which are where? Above. Where Christ is sitting at the right hand of the Father. I've had people ask me that. Where is Jesus right now? He is at the right hand of the Father. You were raised with Jesus. Where are you right now? You say, I'm in Lake Wildwood Baptist Church. Yes, you are. But where are you? You are in Christ, seated at the right hand of the Father. Hey, right, Wes? Praise God. That's a good place to be. Listen to me. Why is that important to know? Well, first of all, it's important to know that that right hand, we have a saying, and it's so watered down from the Bible's culture, but it says, you know, so-and-so was my right-hand man. You ever heard that? What does that mean? I mean, he's my guy. He's my, he's my buddy. He's my partner. He's the one that helps me out, you know. I, I named my son Benjamin. And, and, and in the Hebrew, they would have called him Benjamin. And that literally means son of my right hand. He, he's, he's my right-hand man. And what is that? Always, always in, in, in culture, uh, in, the, in, 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 the, in the biblical culture and in the ancient cultures, the right hand was a place of honor, a place of prestige and a place of power. And he is seated at the right hand of who? The Father in this place of honor. Right? And because this is true and we're seated with him in this place of honor right now, let, let that roll around your head for a minute. We're going to get back to that. Because this is all true, he says, there's three things I want you, two things I want you to do and one thing I don't want you to do. Here's the imploring. I've empowered you. Don't, don't miss this. The power is being seated in order to get up and do something. All right? I've often said that. We rest our way into sanctification. But in a minute, you're going to hear about striving. But you can strive from rest. How many of you know that this morning? How many know you can strive from rest? That's what we're going to look at. Um, so the imploring is you seek, you set, and you set not. That's those three things. Seek the things which are above. Oh, and by the way, that's exactly where Christ is. Why would we think seek the things above? Because Christ is there, and we're there too. Seek the realities that line up with where you actually are. Okay? Where you identify with Christ. Where Christ is, that's where you are, and that's where your attention needs to be. And then he says in the, in the third verse, he says, set not... Verse number three, um, let me find it here. Or Christ is sitting at right hand. Set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth. All right? So seek, set, and set not. So he's going to give you two things to seek, to seek and set, and one thing to get your mind off of. Are you, are you tracking that? And that is your job. Listen to me. That's your part. Your part is not the raising. Your part is not the rescuing. Your part is not the saving. Your part is to seek the Lord, to seek 
the things that are above, to seek what matters to God, to set your mind on those things, and to, and to unset your mind, not setting your mind on the stuff all around you. And that's the basic premise here today. So the first thing he says is seek those things which are above. What are those things? Matthew gives us a little hint. I think he nails it. I don't know why the Apostle Paul uses the word things under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, but he does. But Matthew unpacks it for us in Matthew 6.33 when he says this. But seek, there's that same word again, but seek what, church? First. And what are we to seek first? The kingdom. and uh, The kingdom of God and His righteousness. Then what? And then all these, here's the word, all these what? Things shall be added. Do you get that? Added. Here's the, here's the reality. Here's what we do. We spend, and if you're not careful, you'll, ruin, you'll, you'll waste your entire life. You'll spend your whole life trying to add things so that you can seek. And when God says, it's the other way around, you seek my kingdom, I'll do the adding. Are you with me? You do the seeking, I'll do the adding. And we're chasing, we're chasing stuff that's not last. We are sacrificing the eternal on the altar of the temporal. And it's a dumb thing to do. And we're, we do it all the time. And Paul's saying, that's exactly what these false teachers are trying to get you to do. They're trying to get you to chase the things of the world that don't matter instead of chasing the things that do. And that word seek means to strive. It means to go after, to, to really go on a, on a quest to find this thing, to, to put all of our, our, our energy. It's, it's the word for wrestle. So we're, we're, it's, by the way, it's a battle to seek the things above. How many of you know that's true? One of you, praise God. That's because the rest of you aren't in a fight. <laughs> yeah, it's quiet, isn't it? I hurt somebody's feelings. I hurt my own feelings. We got to seek. Same, same chapter, Matthew 6.10. The Lord's Prayer. He said, how are we supposed to pray? You pray this way. Our, our, notice that. Not my father, but what? Our. Kingdom's bigger than you. And that's a problem we have. We, we live in a kingdom of one. And it doesn't say my father. It says our father. You know what that does? And immediately, right off the bat, it makes me recognize I'm in this together with a family. It's called the church. And we are kingdom citizens. I am a citizen of the king. Our father, who's in heaven. So where is this kingdom? In heaven. Hallowed be your name. And then what's the next thing? Your kingdom Come, your will be done where? On earth as it is where? In heaven. What are we seeking? We're supposed to be seeking the kingdom of God. You know what Jesus preached almost exclusively? He preached the kingdom. He preached the kingdom. And that is what we are to seek and to strive after. And I love it. He says, your kingdom come. I want your kingdom to be right here, right now. I wanted to, what is the kingdom? It's Christ's rule and reign and authority. And we're to pray that together for ourselves. That Christ, I invite Christ's rule, reign, and authority in my life right now. 
Well, how do I do that? What does that look like? It's as if Jesus said, I'm glad you asked. Here's what it looks like. Your will be done where? On earth, in my sphere, just like your will is done where? In heaven. What's he saying? He said, Lord, I want to bring heaven to earth. But you know what we do? We spend all of our energy. <laughs> That's right. We spend all of our energy trying to get ourselves to heaven. Trying to get people to heaven. And I think that's great. I think we should witness. I think we should evangelize. But I think we've got it backwards. I think in the midst of that evangelizing, we have forgotten that. We, we've gotten the idea that it's about getting people to heaven. And Jesus said it's about getting heaven to people. And that comes by seeking, by striving after uh, the things that are above. Seek first this kingdom. That's what we say around here. We exist to love God, love people, serve the king, and expand his kingdom. Kingdom expansion, that's what we're after. That's what we're here for. So we seek those things which are above. We seek Christ, we seek His kingdom to bring it to earth, to, to our environment, to, to our surround, to our church, to our family, to, your, to our work, places of work. We bring the kingdom when we, bring, when we show up. So keep on seeking is what he's saying. Striving to trying to reach for that desire. And then, then the next command, the next imploring there is, is you all set your minds. I want you all to have a mindset. And that the difference between seeking and setting, would, actually they got the same root word, which is interesting. But where seeking is like that wrestling match and it's a fight and it's a battle and you're going after it and everything. Setting is more concentrating. It means to focus your attention, to concentrate. And what are we supposed to concentrate on? What, what does he say there in verse number three? Or verse number two, set your mind on things above. There you are, on kingdom things. All right, fight for it and focus on it. That's what he's saying. Fight to go after the things that matter, to chase the things that matter, make your life about the things that matter, the kingdom things, the gospel, following Christ, being radically obedient through the power of the Holy Spirit, cutting out sin in every form out of your life, out of your brain, out of your thinking, and then you focus your mind like a laser on those very same things. It's not about me. It's about my king who died in my place and who resurrected me with him, is seated at the right hand of the Father and took me there with him. It's about him. That's what you set your mind on. That's what you set your habits on. And then he says there's some things you need to not set your mind. Here's the negative. Before I get there, let me, let me read this. 2 Corinthians 4.18. Yeah, it's set not your minds. Don't set your minds on the things of the earth. And you know what we do? You, would you agree with me? We get it backwards. Anybody else have str struggle with that? I struggle with that. We get it backwards. We get our eyes on stuff that's going to disappear or burn up. I mean, if I said to you, I'll give you a million dollars, all you got to do is take this gun, put it to your head, and pull the trigger. We say, oh, I could use a million dollars. That's a good deal. 
No, nobody in here would take that deal. Why? Because when you're dead, the million dollars doesn't matter anymore. Listen to me. We are chasing after things that are going to disappear. You're chasing the wind. And that's what these false teachers were trying to encourage them to do by adding to Christ. And Paul said, don't do it. Don't set your mind. Set not. You all set not. Here's the negative command. Now, the reason I can strive after the kingdom and I can focus, I can focus so readily on, on the kingdom realities and bring them into my life and begin to live them out, the reason I can do that is because of the empowering of the resurrection. Are you with me? My co-resurrection with Christ. Because Christ rise, I rose with him. I am seated in Christ right now at the right hand of the Father. That gives me a heavenly perspective and it gives me the ability to live it out. But what about the seeking not? The setting not? Do you know there's an empowerment for that? Look what it says in 2 Corinthians 4.18. He says, well, we do not look at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen, earthly versus heavenly realm. For the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. You get it? Go after the eternal. You can't see it, but it's more real than what you can see. Stop chasing what you can see. Start chasing what you can't. And that's what he's saying. Focus here and get your eyes off of here. The problem is there's a lot of Christians with wandering eyes. Y'all trying to look at two things at the same time. And that never works out good because neither of them are in focus. And pretty soon you'll give up and just look at one. And nine times out of ten, guess where we look? Our gaze is downward instead of upward. Stop me when I'm lying. Am I telling you the truth? But Paul's saying, don't do that. You've got, all the, you've got everything you need. God has empowered you to even have the desire to strive and set your focus on Christ and His kingdom and, and His economy and what that looks like right here on this earth and to expand it and to press the crown rights of King Jesus into every corner of this culture and this world. That's what we're supposed to be doing. And God's given you everything you need to do it. But here's your part. You've got you to stop looking down and start looking up. You've got to stop investing your life in things that are going to burn up. And here's the beauty of this. I love this. Look at verse number three. Verse number three is the empowerment for the negative command. Don't focus on temporary earthly things. Well, remember, the resurrection is the power for the positive commands. Seek and set, right? I'm risen with Christ, so I, I'm naturally looking there. I'm in heaven, in Christ. That's where I'm seated positionally right now. So my, my focus is going to be there. But how do I get my eyes off of earth in order to get them on heaven? He gives us an answer in verse number three. Four, that word four means because. So here's your empowerment, saint. Because... You died. Next screen. Because you died. Verse number three is that empowerment for the negative command. All right, everybody look here. Something called you. That's what Paul's saying. And, and it's common in the life of everyone who's a Christian. Something called you has died. By the way, that's past tense. Something called you died. Does anybody here remember dying lately? Right? No, you'd think that's something you would remember. Right? But something called you died. 
And then he goes on to say, as a result of that, uh, because you died and your life, present tense life, your life is, that's a present tense, is hidden in Christ. So wait a minute, I thought you just said I died, but now you said I got this life. Which is it? Both. Look at this verse that comes on the screen. Romans chapter 6 and verse number 6. Here's what Paul says. And by the way, you need to jot this down somewhere in your outline. Is Romans 6 is your homework this week. And I want you to look for three words. You might need to get, get an old-fashioned old King James to find them all. But ver forms of these words will be in there. And these, these words are the very thing that literally, through the Word of God, the Scriptures, literally these, these three words will put their fingers under your chin, take your focus off of earth, and focus you on the King of kings, the Lord of lords, and His kingdom that you are called to expand right now and live for. And here they are. Know, reckon, and yield. Know, K-N-O-W, reckon, and yield. You got to know something is true. Then you got to then you got to reckon it. That's an accounting term. You need to act on it. You say, okay. In this verse, what is he saying? There's that word knowing. What do I got to know? I got to know this. What's this? That our old man, something called you, that's old. That means it was once, it is no more. That our old man, past tense, was crucified with him, that's Christ, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin. What's that saying? You died. When Christ was crucified, you were crucified with him. And just jot this on, Galatians 2.20, for I am crucified, I have been crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. God took that old you that was dead to sin or dead to God and alive to sin and he killed it in Christ, brought it to a definite end and then he then you rose again in Christ to new life. And that's what Paul's saying, he's reminding he's very consistent in all of his writings. And he says there because you died, here's the empowerment to get your eyes off the, off the world and off the things of the world. You're a dead man. You died to that. Christ died for your sins so that you could die to your sins. Did y'all hear that? Christ pays the penalty for your sin and dies. God places you in Christ and your old man, I believe that's the spirit, the core of who we are. We hate God and we love sin. And he takes that sin-loving, God-hating you, nails it to Christ, brings it to an end, and raises up a brand new spirit, being the new man is called in the scripture. The new man, one with Christ, he wakes us up together with Jesus. I love that picture. We're awakened with our Lord. We're risen and we're in Christ because we died. And the old guy's still in the grave. It's not, an, it's, it's not the reformed old man that comes up. It's a brand new creature, 2 Corinthians 5.17. So you died, and that's the empowerment. How, how do I get my eyes off, off, off the things of the earth? You died to them. Jesus died for you, so that, for your sin, so that you could die to your sin. Listen to me. Some of you need to realize, I'm struggling, I'm struggling, I'm struggling. 
You're free. You don't have to sin anymore. You choose to sin, but you don't have to. Anybody getting that this morning? It's like when I was a kid, you know, we used to take the horse and when you, when you get off, you wrap the reins around the, the hitching post or the, or the fence. And that horse knows he, he, can't move his, he can't move his head. You do that long enough, and pretty soon you can just get off the horse and let those reins hit the ground. As soon as he feels anything at all, he thinks he's hitched to that post. You can leave him in the middle of a field. He'll never move. Why? He's been trained. He's been trained that he is tied. That if you're not on his back, he can't move. When in reality, he can go wherever he wants to. He just hasn't reckoned it so. You with me? Some of you think you're still tied to your sins and you haven't realized there's nothing holding you there. Jesus cut that rope. Amen? Amen? And we can live for another kingdom. Praise the Lord. So here's this empowerment behind the no. Here's this empowerment to quit. I don't have to, I'm not tied to that sin anymore. Because I died, Jesus died for me so that my sins, so that I could die to my sins. Those sins don't hold me anymore. Praise the Lord for that. Now notice what he says as we get this empowerment. This interesting word in, in verse 3. For you died, now here's the next part, and, that's a conjunction, your life is, what's this word? Hidden. And then a weird phrase, with Christ and God. And I'll get to that in a second. But you're hidden. Your life, the one that you have now, is hidden with Christ. What's it mean to be hidden? Anybody? Can't see you. You're concealed. You're out of sight. What's that? And that's the other thing. When you're hidden, you're protected. Yeah. It's like putting on that camo. Uh, turkey season's coming up here in a few weeks. Real soon. I think a week from Saturday. And so a bunch of us are going to go out there dressed like trees. And we're going to do our dead level best to cover every piece of skin because that turkey bird can see you. You know a turkey can see you blink at 100 yards. Wes and I were just talking about that. See you blink at 100 yards, gone. What do you got to do? You got to hide. You got to look just like the tree so that turkey bird doesn't know that, that there's a predator that's after him. Because if he sees you, he's gone. Right? We are hidden in Christ. We are concealed literally in Christ. And that concealment does offer, offer safety. But it does more than that. What, are, what, what does that concealment in Christ keep us safe from? Huh? How about the wrath of God? Right? How many of you know, you know what Satan's job, you know what he's called? He's called the accuser of the who? Brethren. What's he accusing us for? Because he, he I, I firmly believe that Satan thinks that there's, there's, there's a few sins out there that Jesus hadn't died for. I really think he does. I think he cannot help himself. And he goes to God and he says, did you see what Tom just did? Did you see, did you see that? Did you see that? That sin that Tom just did? Would you like me to name it? I'm not going to do that. It's none of your business. <laughs> God's, Satan's up there tattletailing on Tom. 
And, and, and what does the Father do? He turns to his right hand, place of what? Favor and honor. And he said, huh, I'm looking for Tom, but all I see is Jesus, and he's perfect. Get out of here, Satan. <laughs> Hello? Is anybody here this morning? How awesome is that? When, when, when Satan accuses you, the Father turns and he looks at Jesus and says, I don't know about that, but I, I see... I, I, Tom." I see my son when I see Tom, and my son's perfect, and Tom has his record. Your, mis your, your, your charges don't stick. The verdict is not guilty. Woo! Isn't that exciting? You're not guilty because you're hidden in Christ. And see, that's where the life is because you've been awakened with Christ, haven't you? In that resurrection. You and Jesus woke up together. And where did you find yourself when you rubbed the sleep out of your eyes? Seated right in the place of honor. And here's the beautiful, this hit me, and I about had a Holy Ghost fit in my office. Because I'm reading about Jesus seated, where Christ is seated at the right hand of the Father, place of honor. And you know, oh, that's a beautiful thing. And then I discover, where am I? I'm hidden in who? Where is Christ? In heaven, where is he seated? Where am I sitting? At the right hand of the Father, in that place of honor. Me, of all people. The guy who doesn't even deserve to be standing behind his pulpit or even touch this holy word is because of, my, of, of who I was before. That guy right there is seated in the place of honor right now at the right hand of God the Father. And because I'm hidden, I am safe in Jesus Christ. Amen. And when the accuser comes, the Father looks to his right and he says, look pretty good to me. Not guilty because I'm hidden in Jesus. What a glorious truth that is. You see the importance of this death, burial, and resurrection? It's absolutely vital that we see it. 1 John 3, 2. Beloved, now we are the children of God. When? Right now, present tense. Now we're the children of God. And it has not yet been revealed what we shall be. Here's what we are now. But what we're going to be has not yet been revealed. You with me? Now and then. And he goes on to say, but here's what we know. We know that when he is revealed, when Jesus shows up, Look at this. We shall be like Him. Because we're going to see Him as He is. Isn't that exciting? And I don't know how all this works. Okay, so I'm just going to be honest with you. I, I, I don't know how, and I'm almost done. I don't know how this works. But it's something about seeing Jesus. That, that should come up on the screen. Um, there's something about seeing Jesus. That is the vehicle to our glorification. Now, I'm not the sharp, sharpest crayon in a box, but look here, look here. If seeing Jesus <laughs> radically changed my, change, has this ability to radically change me and give me a brand new body in a glorified state, I wonder what seeing Jesus. Spending time with Jesus, seeking Jesus, setting my focus on Jesus now could do for my sanctification to make me like him. You reckon that might have a little part in it? Some of you folks 
are living your life in a graveyard. You keep trying to dig up that dead man that was crucified with Jesus. He's no more. You're a new you from the inside out. You were awakened with Jesus and you woke up in a place of honor at the right hand of the Father. See yourself there. And see what God does when you do. And then here's the culmination. It's almost anticlimactic if it wasn't. And it's in verse number four. Look at verse four. When Christ, who is our life, appears. Then. That's a time stamp. You also will appear with Him. And here's a, here's a little key in glory. In glory. Now this just makes perfect sense if the rest of it's true, doesn't it? If I'm risen with Christ, when Christ shows up, where am I? I'm in Christ. So when He appears... I got to appear with him because I'm in him. And I know this sounds, this gets a little bit metaphysical and crazy. Like, that's preacher talk. I don't know what you're saying. Because you're saying I'm in Christ right now, but I, could, I promise you I'm at Lake Wildwood Baptist Church, 701 Green Tree Parkway, Macon, Georgia, 31220. Pretty sure that's where I am. You are. It's what we don't understand are these dimensions. We think that heaven is way up there, way super far away. It's not. Heaven is, heaven is right here. We can't see it because of our sin. And when the physical body finally dies to that sin, or Jesus comes and rips that veil, just like he did the one in the temple. When that veil is torn and our eyes see, just the first glance at him, we're glorified. What was it Chesterton said? For every glance at self, take ten glances at Jesus. The more you look at him, the more you love him. The more you love him, the more you'll look like him. When Jesus shows up because we're with him, we're going to see him as he is and we're going to be changed to be just like him. We're going to appear with him. Philippians chapter 3 and verse 21 says this, who will, who will transform our lowly body that it may be conformed to his glorious body, according to the working by which he is able, look at this, even to subdue all things to himself. Why has he got to use such strong language there? He's using the language of the total sovereignty of the Christ, the, this radical power by which Jesus can force even the demons to bow and admit that he is Lord. And he says it's that, with that very force, he is going, I'm going to be conformed to his glorious body because he's got the power to make it happen. I'm in Christ. You're in Christ right now. And you know, I've wondered about that. Because heaven is so close, I believe it's right here. You know, it says to be absent from the body is to be what? You all know that verse? Here's what I think. It's almost like a rubber band. My spirit is seated in Christ right now. And that's not the only place it says it. Go back in Ephesians. It tells you the same thing. It's a common theme of Paul. We're in Christ seated right now in heavenly places. Seated means finished. So right now I'm on earth for the rubber band down here. I'm, I'm at Lake Wildwood Baptist. But up here, and, and it's right here, my spirit 
the real me is seated right now at the, at the place of honor at the right hand of the Father in Christ. I'm concealed in Christ. I'm safe. Satan can't touch me there. I'm, I'm good. And when my physical body stops working, it's like you just take your finger out. And what's going to happen to that rubber band? Boom. It's going to shoot. Here's what I think happens. Just, so, just as when we were born again and regenerated, we woke up with Jesus in a, in a new heart. I think as soon as that body stops, that which holds us and binds us to the earth is gone. And we wake up, listen to me, where we've always been. And, and, and so let me just contextualize this and then give you a challenge. These crazy people in the Colossae church promoting the Colossian heresy were saying you got to do all this kooky stuff in order to have all these experiences and you better keep these rules and boy don't ever touch that and you know you need to you need to be harsh with your body you better keep these rules you get these days right you better worship on the right day just all these hoops and boxes in order in, in order to what in order to what in order to have this relationship and bolster and be more po more powerful than the risen Christ. Really? And Paul says, he, that's all lies. You're in him right now. And he's all powerful. You're hidden in him. What you need to do is get your eyes off of here. And that's where, by the way, that's where false doctrine takes you. It always takes your eyes off of Jesus and puts them right on the earth. Every one of them. Prosperity gospel, get your eyes off the kingdom, gets it right on earth. Every deformation and, 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 and malformation of doctrine takes you away from the kingdom of heaven and puts it on the kingdom of man. Don't ever forget that. And Jesus says, I'm enough. And I got you hidden in me. You woke up. You and I woke up together and we're seated at the right hand of the Father. What's that mean? For the Colossians, it meant they, they, they can finally be confident to no longer jump through those hoops. Amen? Here's what I think Paul is saying, and it took me hours to boil this section down to three statements. Would you believe it only came to me very, very early this morning while it was still dark. And that pen just, it's like God just turned a light bulb on. And it made sense to me. I did that past, present, and future with the verbs. And here's what I realized. The past realities, think your resurrection and you're seated with Christ. The past realities are the foundation for the present responsibilities, which are the ground of the future revealing. Isn't that good? Listen to them one more time. The present realities are the foundation, or the, or the, excuse me, the past realities are code, death, burial, and resurrection with Christ and are seated, seating with him, hidden with him. Uh, the past realities are the foundation for the present responsibilities, which are the ground of the future revealing and unveiling of Christ in us totally, our glorification. Isn't that good, folks? Say, so what? What am I, preacher, what, what do you want me to do with this? Last screen. Here's the so what. I want you to go read Romans 6. And I want you to underline every time you come across no, reckon, or yield. 
And I, I know you're going to think I'm crazy. Here's what I want you to do today. Just today. For the rest of today, I want you to do something crazy, but I want you to know something. I want you to know and have the knowledge that you were crucified with Christ, buried with Him, and a brand new you woke up in Jesus. And you're hidden in Him, seated at the Father right now. Where are you right now? In Christ, in the heavenly, seated at the right hand of the Father. I want you to know it, but then I want you to reckon it. What's that mean? How many of you know there's a difference between knowing something and believing it? Yeah? Big difference. I want you to believe it. I want you to say, okay, that's where I am. I'm, I'm at the right hand of Father God right now, hidden in my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. That's where I am. <laughs> because that's true, I've got all the power I need to yield my members, my physical body, my mind, my thinking, my eyeballs, my imagination. I can yield everything that I am to the Lord Jesus Christ. Are you with me? I've got to know the truth. I've got to reckon it to be true and put it into practice. And when I do that, the power of the Holy Spirit enables me to not use this body or this mind or this brain or these eyeballs to sin. So just for today, just for the rest of Sunday, I want you to try that on. I want you to put on this new man. And when that person in front of you is going 35 miles an hour on I-75 on your way home, and you start feeling that old man from the grave knocking on your door, here's what I want you to say. You know what? You can't even find me. I'm hidden in Jesus. <laughs> And yeah, that's frustrating, but you know what? I believe God is like completely sovereign over everything, and I need to go 35 miles an hour on 75 right now. I need to pray for that person because they obviously don't know how to drive. <laughs> but I am so seated in Christ right now that I'm not going to get up and come out of Him for nothing, not for no anger, not for, not for any frustration, not for any venting, not for being short-tempered. Because I'm in Christ and I believe that I'm reckoning that and I'm going to yield my mind, my mouth, and my attitude to the Lord Jesus Christ. I've got that power through Him. I awakened with Jesus and I'm going to stay woke in Christ. And I just want you to do that today. I want you to seek and set your mind on Jesus and enjoy a relationship with Him because you're in Him. And I want you to let that raise your gaze from earth to heaven and just take some time today and ponder on Christ the things that are above I just want you to do that today and then you know what I want you to try it again tomorrow and I want to ask you a question in closing what would happen around here what would next Sunday be like if this whole week you practice no reckon and yield seek set and set not and God gave, let you string out seven full days of knowing that you're hidden in Christ and applying that and appropriating that to every day, every moment of every day between now and Sunday. Do you think we'd sing different? Do you think there'd be people coming with us, sitting next to us because they said, I got to find out 
the secret to this person's life? I don't know. I think, that, I think at a minimum, God would be so glorified in our midst. And I know, you look at that and say, well, preacher, that's just pie-in-the-sky pipe dream stuff. Nope. I think that's reality in real Christianity, and we've gotten so far away from it, we don't even know what it looks like anymore. We've been, we've been preached a putrid, puny gospel that said God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. I think I read in here where God says he is angry with the wicked every day. God hates the deeds of the wicked. We've tamed God because we've forgotten who we are in Christ. No reckon and yield. Try that today. And then try it tomorrow. Make it, keep practicing it until it comes to the forefront of your mind and it becomes the filter through which you filter everything. From slow drivers to frustrating employees to a spouse who's driving you crazy to kids who won't obey. Whatever your punch points are and see how Christ responds in your place. I promise you, you will love him better and more next week than you do today. You believe it? Amen. Father, we love you today. Thank you for your word. Thank you, this is true. I pray that you would help us to know, reckon, and yield to it. I pray that the truth of these four precious verses, these transitional verses taking us from the doctrinal into the practical, would bring about a practical reformation and revival amongst your people. As we know, reckon, and yield the truth about us according to you. Not according to our feelings. Not according to our circumstances. But according to your word, we are hidden completely concealed in Christ right now, seated by your right hand. And as soon as his body quits, we wake up where we've always been. May the reality of that draw us into a deeper intimacy with you. Not relying on any practices, not relying on any keeping or not keeping of certain rules, do's, don'ts, none of that. No, not searching for mystical experiences. Just resting in our identification with Christ. And I pray that through that you would be glorified in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. All right. We're going to have communion now. Um, I think the team's going to come. And I'm going to pull the tops off here. Just remember that communion is for people who have been born again, baptized, walking with Jesus. Understand who we are. Amen. So be careful with that. If that's you, fine. If you're not sure, then just stay seated. You don't, you just watch. And that's, there's no shame in that. It might be the better part of wisdom. Same thing with children. So uh, in a moment, um, our, our group's going to sing a, song, a new song that we're going to be introducing to the church called Ancient of Days. And... Um, I think there's words that will come up just so you can see them. You don't have to sing along, or you can. Um, but I'm going to take these elements and make them available to you. If you just come up, get your elements, and then be seated. Hold them, and we'll take them all together here in just a minute. And then we'll sing, and uh, 
we'll go next door for some good fellowship around the table. The table of Christ and the table of communion together as we break bread in here in just a few moments. So Lord, thank you for your table. Thank you for Christ. Thank you that these elements represent his, his blood and his body, his blood shed to cover, to cover and pay for sin, his body that ingested and became our sin and died so that we, we could have that death that Paul talks about in verse, verse number three. And we have that resurrection in that new life. And it's represented through these common everyday elements. And I pray that you would make us aware of how beautiful, special this is and how valuable is your son and how glorious our salvation. In Jesus' name, amen. We'll start over here with Angie. And then uh, y'all just come on up, get your elements, and then be seated.
says that Jesus took the bread and he broke it. He said, this is my body given for you. Take and eat. Remember, our sins were placed in his body on the tree so that we could be transformed from sinner to saint, from hater of God, an enemy, to child of God. May we remember what Jesus did by ingesting our sins and bearing our shame. sin is death no way around it it's a separation that can last for eternity if we let it it's what we deserve God's sinless son shed his sinless blood and that was the purchase price it's radical it's we don't even have a number to put on it for its value that God would do that tells me how bad my sin is and how great my God is. May we remember that as we drink and remember the blood of Christ. Amen. Would you stand and join us as we sing? One of my favorite songs came uh, a few years ago. It was brought here. You'll recognize the tune even if you don't know the song. You stand up. The tune is uh, to the tune of Old Lang Syne. Remember we used to sing that around New Year's? But it's called All Glory Be to Christ. Much better words. 
sing this out because it's all about him. Amen. Should nothing, should nothing of our efforts stand to
be to Christ His rule and reign will ever sing all glory be to Christ And Lord may you receive all of the glory and the honor and the praise you are worthy of of, of all of it and the kingdom the power and the authority are yours may we be wise and be a part of that I pray that in a moment as we gather together and break bread um, and fellowship around around the table uh, the, of good food and friendship because of Christ that you would bless that food that you would bless us as we take it and that we would take it with great joy that brings you joy we ask that you give us a rejoicing that we would know, reckon, and yield these truths that we heard today. May they become a part of our everyday moment-by-moment -moment thinking. And may you receive all of the glory in Christ's name. Amen. Let's sing that doxology this morning.